Okay. I didn't know this kid that well. He's kind of new to the neighborhood, and uh, we, we were just having a good time. And, uh, you know, 10 o'clock turns into 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock turns into midnight, um, and we're getting bored. We're still going. We still want to have fun. We still want to play some games, um, but we've run out of things to do. And so he says to me, he says, hey, you know what? I've got this game, and he explains the game. I don't, I don't remember his name. I don't remember what the game was. And uh, I thought, well, that sounds like fun. Let's, let's play that. He says, well, I don't have it with me. It's at my house. And at this point, it's about one o'clock in the morning, and there are no adults awake. And so um, me, being a responsible 12-year-old, did the most respectful and responsible things. I didn't want to wake up any of the adults in the house. And so uh, me and this kid uh, decided we're going to walk to his house at one in the morning to go get this game, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to play. And so um, we take off, and we're walking. It's only about five blocks away. I, I knew the neighborhood well. I lived there most of my life. I, I know there's no gangs between me and his house, and so... And so we're going. We have no uh, criminal intent in mind, but, but we're walking. As we're walking, uh, we're about halfway there, so we're about two and a half blocks away, and there's a group of people on the porch, and they say something like, the cops are going to get you, which is really a weird thing to say to a bunch of 12-year-olds walking down the street at one in the morning, but they said it, and so I looked at him. I thought that was strange, and we walk away, and we're less than a block from when those people said that. We're not quite to his house, and we're far from my house when the police round the corner with lights on, and they pull up on us, and I've always been the kind of kid that, uh, and maybe some of you are like this, I just, I just sort of take my licks. I, I mean, if I'm in trouble, I just, I just look it down, and I answer for what I did, and I take whatever my punishment is, and so when they the cop came around the corner with his lights on. I just, I just stood there. I, I, what's going to happen? I mean, I guess I get in trouble, but uh, nothing, nothing too terrible. But this kid, who I didn't know very well, as soon as he sees the cop's lights come on, just bolts. He runs off. He's into like a, 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 a patch of uh, bamboo, and he is gone. And so I'm standing there, stunned, and the police officer is looking at me, and he's kind of stunned, and we're looking at each other, and he's wanting to know, am I going to run, or uh, do I have a weapon, you know, what's going on, and so I just stand there, and he says, he says, where'd your friend go? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, I'm so sorry. I don't know why he's running. So, uh, you guys uh, breaking any laws? No, sir. Just getting a game. And I stood there for probably 45 minutes trying to explain myself. And, and then you hear like a crunch of a stick. And here comes this kid who ran away and left me to face for our crimes, apparently. Uh, comes out of nowhere and he comes in. And so the cop asks him all these questions. Hey, did you throw any weapons in the... In the in no. And so he said, uh, you know, he could have, I guess, arrested us, but he sent us home. He said, you guys go home. Get, get out of here. Um, bunch of knuckleheads. And I realized that day that that you can be connected to people that get you in trouble regardless of, of what you did. I did nothing wrong. As far as I know, he did nothing wrong. But his actions and his behavior, and because I was connected to him at the moment, uh, could have gotten me in trouble. We're in the middle of this series called Abide, where, where Christ invites us uh, as followers of him to abide in him, abide in his love, abide in his trust. And today we're going to talk about this, this idea uh, that, that he brings in kind of an agricultural uh, element when he talks about vines and branches, this idea of being connected. And, and what we're going to find is that what you're connected to matters. Me being connected to that kid in that moment could have gotten me in a lot of trouble. It didn't, but it could have. What you're connected to matters a great deal. Some of you 
You have well connection. You have strong connection. You're, you're well connected in the community. And, you know, if you, if you needed a job, you can make a phone call or two and, and get that job. Others of you are, are new to this community. And if, if you lost your job or if you needed a job, you might not know the, the right person to connect to. But who you're connected to and what you're connected to matters. If you're, if you're a, a computer person, you're like an IT nerd, and you're like, you know, high-speed internet is, is very important. I have no idea how fast the internet is here at Carpenter's Way, but I do know this. About five years ago, we had an IT guy geek out for like five or ten minutes because we have this cable line coming into the building like this big around. So he's never seen a cable line this big for our internet to come in. So apparently outside of this building, this is, this is just amazing. We have high-speed internet. Nothing is more frustrating than being like right on the edge of your connection and you're trying to update your Facebook and you hit the notification and the wheels start spinning because you have just enough connection to know that there's a notification there and you don't have enough connection to see what it is and you just, oh golly, it gets, it gets tiresome. Uh, during, during the last several weeks during COVID, some of you have, uh, have been on Zoom. You've had Zoom calls for work and Zoom calls for, for church. And I noticed there's a window that will pop up every now and then it says unstable connection. And, and what's super frustrating about the unstable connection window is that you think you're communicating clearly and you think that everybody sees you in real time. But what they see is a stuttering stop, can't fin- and, and they're doing that because your connection to them is unstable and it's bouncing in and out. Your parents probably warned you, as, as my parents did, like, be careful who you hang out with. You don't want to be connected to a bad crowd because they might bolt on you at 1 a.m. and leave you in the bamboo forest to answer for their crimes. You don't want to be connected to the wrong crowd. And I guess if you are connected to the wrong crowd, eventually you might be wanted in connection to a crime. Could you imagine your name being in the news? It's like, hey, I want to, I want to speak with uh, Pat Camerata. Uh, he's wanted in connection to a crime. It didn't actually say he committed a crime, but being wanted in connection to a crime is a little condemning. And, and you, you know, maybe, maybe we ought to speak to our pastor about that a little bit. I'm in a room by myself, if I can uh, admit that. There's about five other people in here. The crowds are usually here. And so I just picked the first person I saw, and it happened to be my boss. So this will be uh, maybe my last sermon here at Carpenter's Way. I don't know. You know, Jesus, he talks about being connected, and, and we're going to look at John 15 again. Uh, we looked at that a few weeks ago, but I really want to focus on this idea of being connected, because what you're connected to matters a great deal. And what we see from Jesus is that he is inviting us to be connected to the source, the life source of the universe. He is the creator. We read that in John chapter 1. We read that in Genesis chapter 1, that all of the universe is created. And now Jesus extends his hand and says, you guys want to be connected to me? You want to be well connected in the community? I kind of created the community. You want to, you want to be connected? This is Jesus' invitation. So if you would, um, open your Bibles if you have it there. We're going to be in John chapter 15, and we're just going to walk through about 17 verses together. Here's how it begins. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, I should pause and remind everyone of where we're at. In the book of John, Jesus has done 
all of his miracles up to this point. He's, he's healed people, blind people can see, he's, he's already done the walking on water, he's already fed 5,000. We're at the end of the story of John. Where we're at right now is where Jesus has a little urgency in his, in his voice and he's, he's talking to his friends because this is the night he goes to be sentenced to crucify and he knows it and he's warning them that this is about to happen. He's already said it at this point. And, and there's a little bit of, guys, pay attention. Now, when, when I'm teaching your students, I'm teaching your teenagers, I tell them, like, imagine uh, you're in class, which is hard to do during COVID time, but uh, imagine you're in class and um, the bell just rang, and right when you get up to pack your bags, the teacher says, oh, one more thing about the test, and then they say something. It's the very last thing. It's, there's some urgency. They had to get it out there. The question is, do you think that last comment will be on the test? Well, of course, of course it is. Yeah, like it's, it's urgent. It had to be said. It's the last thing. It's the most important thing. Also, if the teacher repeats themselves over and over again on the same point, maybe it's a good idea to kind of write down that phrase because if they repeated it more than three times, it's definitely going to be important. It's definitely going to be on the test. And here we have Jesus at this kind of last moment with his friends, and he says to them, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Well, let's just begin with saying that Jesus, when he says that he is the true vine, that implies that there are false vines out there. That implies that there are things out there begging you to connect to them that maybe don't offer the life that they promise. But Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father, God, is the vine dresser. Verse 2. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, if you're not paying attention, the word fruit appeared a lot in that one sentence. He repeats it over and over again. In fact, this chapter has the word fruit in it eight times. That's a lot to kind of keep coming back to. It may be that Jesus is thinking that fruit is an important concept to unpack for those. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That's a lot of times to mention fruit. Fruit is very important here. It says, verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. I, I love that Jesus adds that because if I back up one verse, the verse 2, that thread of like whatever branches don't bear fruit, he, he takes away. A lot, of, a lot of people will stand on a stage like this and they'll teach that verse and they'll, they'll like uh, shake their fist at you and say, if you're not bearing fruit, God's going to, he's going to cut you away. And like, you know, there's this like, oh, well, is my, am I safe with God? Is it okay? Well, Jesus follows it up because he's primarily talking about fruit, not a thread of being cut away, because what he says in verse 3 is, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, our, our, if you're a follower of Jesus, our relationship to the vine is secure. He is capable of seeing us through to the end. What he's really wanting us to focus on is not whether or not we stay connected, but whether or not we're bearing fruit. He says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, again, fruit is very important to Jesus. And he says the only way you're going to be able to bear fruit is if you're connected to the vine. Now, imagine how foolish it would be that you want to grow some grapes and you walk past this amazing grape vineyard or orchard or garden. I don't know what a great place is. And you go by the place and you think, I want to grow some grapes like that. And so you cut a branch that has grapes on it off and you take it home and you set it on your windowsill. Let me ask you, just, you know, give me a number. How many new grapes is that branch going to grow? 
I think it's zero. I'm no, I'm no arborist or vine dresser or whoever these great people are, but I believe that once the branch is cut off from the vine, it ceases to grow fruit. And what Jesus is saying right here, he says, abide in me and I in you because the branch can't bear fruit apart from me. We need to stay connected and we're invited to stay connected to this creator, to Jesus. Let me keep going. He says in verse five, he says, I'm the vine. And so if there's any mistake, Jesus said before, he said, I'm the true vine. Now he's saying in this illustration of vines and branches, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, uh, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this is amazingly uh, optimistic news because in, the, in this last speech to his friends, he's inviting them to abide in them so that they can bear more fruit. What if, what if I told you that God's ultimate purpose for your life is that you have a fruitful life? not a pointless life, not a fruitless life. He says, he says uh, abide in me. And apart from me, you can do nothing. But he says uh, that you will bear much fruit. To follow Jesus and to have our lives connected to Jesus, to have our lives connected to the vine, is to have a life that is not wasted. It is to bear fruit. We'll keep going. Verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. To be, to be separated from the vine is to initiate or to begin the withering process. Now, like you, uh, I also have been working in my yard, probably not as much as Wacey has, but uh, we've, we've been doing a lot of yard work around here, and we, we cut things off of trees, and we, we get, I have poison ivy vines all behind my house, which I didn't know were poison ivy, but I do know I'm not allergic to poison ivy, because I'm ripping these suckers out by the, the roots, and I'm, I'm throwing them away. And what's interesting to me is that this, this fence line that has not been cleaned in forever, um, as I work my way down immediately, I mean the next day, probably even by the end of the same day, I can immediately see the vines responding to the separation I caused. I caused it with a reciprocating saw, just zipping all the way down. I cut like two feet of vine stalk off of the bottoms of these things. And by the end of the day, the green leaves that were on top of the fence are brown and beginning to wither because being separated from the vine immediately initiates withering. Right now, when you, when you look in the mirror, even as you log on to Carpenter's Way's live stream, do you, do you have a sense that your spiritual life is withering? Um, maybe, maybe that sense is to remind you that you've separated from the vine for a minute, that, you, that you, you've not abided in Christ. And, and we're going to see at the end of this, if I can just ruin the end of this message, that there's an invitation to always abide, to always come back. Withering comes from disconnecting. Those vines that I separated from my fence, if I go look at it now, uh, 95% of it is brown and withered and ready to be taken out. But I've got this one green sprig over here of poison ivy that is still like alive and thriving. And I go and look at it, and it's interesting because I go and look at it, and it's green right here, and it's cut down here, but this isn't connected to that. It actually is kind of withering through the fence from over here, and it's connected, and it's getting its source from over here. Because sometimes, according to my poison ivy analogy, sometimes location isn't as important as connectedness. 
You know, sometimes it's located over here, but it's connected here. And sometimes we find ourselves that we've been going through the motions and we, we show up to church and we, 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 we go through here and we put our location in the right spot, but then we're connected to toxic things in our life and we're pulling our resources from anger and resentment and uh, like revenge. And we ask ourselves, why, why, am I, why am I bearing this kind of fruit? Maybe it's not so much your location on the fence as much as it is your connectedness. The good news about this, that withering comes from disconnectedness, is that you know, if, you, if you feel yourself spiritually dry, then maybe it points to disconnectedness. But also, if you find in yourself this other source, this very negative source that you wish wasn't bearing the fruit in your life, well, the same principle applies, doesn't it? Disconnect from it, and immediately the fruit begins to wither. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Again, much fruit. Like he, Jesus is inviting us to have a very fruitful life. And so prove to be my disciples. We prove to be Jesus' disciples by the amount of fruit that we have. When I was a kid, my grandfather grandparents, uh, bought some land in Fred, Texas. I I love that there's a town in Texas called Fred. Like, I feel like there should be like a John and a Mark and like a Henry, Texas. Maybe they all exist. But some guy named Fred founded a town and decided to name it Fred. And in Fred, Texas, it was about four or five acres. And in the middle of this little plot of property was one small one-bedroom house. The rest is just pasture land and like some cattle and things like that. But right in front of the house was this tree. That nobody knew what it was, really. It was just a tree. It, it, had, had no, it was there from before they bought it. Uh, it had no really distinguishing marks. I mean, it had you know, bark and leaves, but it was a tree. And after about year two, uh, my grandfather, he goes out there, and this tree, this generic random tree that has always been there, um, has one piece of fruit on it. It has a pear on it. And he pulls this pear off, and he takes a bite of it, and he brags about how delicious this, this pear was. Um, nobody would know how delicious that first pear was because it was gone by the time we even knew it existed. Like he just woofed it down and it was this great, delicious pear. And so my grandfather does whatever tree people do to keep trees going is that he, he cares for this tree, he tends this tree, and this tree begins to bear much fruit. And within two years of that first single pear showing up, you would drive up to the property and all of the limbs are having to be supported by additional blocks of wood and, you know, like timber and everything that he's nailed to the tree because the weight of the pears was so much that it would snap the limbs off because this tree began to bear fruit so abundantly, so deliciously, it tasted like honey in this pear, uh, that, that the tree itself couldn't withstand the amount of fruit it was bearing. And what Jesus is inviting us to here is a life that bears so much fruit, it is ridiculous. It is comical. It's like, it is so ridiculous that a preacher will use it in an illustration to make a point that our lives bear fruit much fruit, more fruit. And, and Jesus says, by this, his father is glorified. And every time my grandfather went into that property, he would see this tree that he supported by his own wit and, and lumber skills and tree cutting skills. He's supporting everything. He, he was glorified. He was honored. He was excited to have this pear come off of his tree. That's the same life that the father wants for us. Verse nine says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you abide in my love. That's super interesting to me. Um, That Jesus, when when he kind of assesses the type of love that he's showing his disciples, that he's showing us, he says, I'm loving you the same way my dad loves me. 
He uses his dad, his holy father, as the example of what love should be like as he shows that to his disciples. What, what is our example of love? What, what, what did you grow up in? Do you, do you find in yourself like you came from a healthy, balanced uh, home life and the love that, that you saw as a child you've now been uh, uh, sharing with your kids and, and you're, just, you're just giving your kids the same example of love as your parents Maybe it's the opposite, though. Maybe, maybe we have like a, uh, a, a negative home life and, and some of that criticism, some of that, that anger, some of those frustrations that you grew up in, you find just kind of bubbling up and coming out of us because, because we're, we're just doing what we learn. We're mirroring what we saw. Jesus says, as the fathers love me, as I, as I found my connection to God, that's, that's the measure by which I'm loving you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, period. Abide in my love. Jesus invites us to rest, if I can borrow from last week's message, rest in his love, to abide in his love, to to take refuge in his love, to to learn from his love. I'm teaching uh, my son how how to be a man, and one of the things that we were kind of going through something uh, a few weeks ago, and I said something like, you know, a woman wants for her husband to keep her safe, to protect her, to hold her, to make sure that everything is kind of taken care of around here. And Jesus is kind of offering that right here. He says, abide, I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of it, abide in my love. What's, what's really helpful about that phrase, abide in my love, is that no matter what your example of love is up to this point, up to knowing who Jesus is, no matter what your example of love is to that point, we have uh, an example in Jesus to abide in his love. We, we, we abide in his love, and he shares with us how to love other people. We'll keep going. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Again, we see that Jesus wants us to have this full life, a life that is full of joy here. Verse 12, now this is where the rubber meets the road. Okay, we're supposed to follow your commandments. We're supposed to abide in your love. We're supposed to bear fruit. Well, what is this fruit, Jesus? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That is such a heavy phrase. That we love one another as Jesus has loved us. What, what is so heavy about that is that he points to his own example of love as the measure by which we begin to love other people. And as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, our, our uh, responsibility to that commandment grows as well. When you first come to know who Jesus is and you think, okay, well, Jesus, he died on a cross for other people and he kind of was nice to people, then your expectation is that you love other people the way that Jesus loved you, that you put your life out there for other people, you give to other people, and that you're nice to other people. But then you grow in your understanding of how Jesus loved you is that Jesus loved Jesse even when Jesse was a mess. Uh-oh, okay, I see where, where Jesus went with that. So I'm supposed, in return, love people even when they're a mess. Oh, man, 
It gets heavy. What's interesting about this commandment, to love others as Jesus has loved us, is that as we understand the love of Jesus more, our expectation, what we need to do, what our fruit should look like, begins to grow in response to that. Verse 13, greater love, in case we've missed the point of how Jesus loved us, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Our lives, the fruit of our lives should be borne out by how we lay down our lives for other people. That we go outside of our own comfort zone and maybe we don't even rely so much on meeting our own expectations or meeting our own needs as much as we do to meet somebody else's needs and to meet them where they're at, even if they're messy. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. I love that last line. All that I have known from my father, I have made known to you. With Jesus, there is absolutely no secret agenda. There's no gotcha moment with Jesus. There's no moment where you're following Christ, you hear the gospel, and like 10 years later, it turns on you, and all of a sudden, there's this new expectation that is bigger than anything you would have ever, uh, you know, agreed to do. So, so many of the other vines in this world, they have ulterior motives for your lives. They offer you rest, they offer you what they call life, but as soon as you kind of commit to working 40, 50, 65 hours a week, it doesn't give you more life, it starts to take it away from you. Other vines, they, they say, just, just come and hang out with us and, and, and party a little bit, and, and you'll just relax. But uh, a few moments of that, eventually your life is in chaos, not relaxed. You have more problems because, because that vine was never meant to sustain you. With Jesus, there is no secret agenda. Whatever he's known from the Father, he's made known to us. It's, it's right there. There's no secret drama with following Jesus. You did not choose me, verse 16, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, that our fruit also is to abide. We're to abide in Jesus's love, but our fruit also is to abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Again, he's repeating that, asking the Father. You and I, regardless of how valuable you think you are or you think you aren't, have been chosen by this master vine keeper to bear fruit. You've been chosen. It says it right there, verse 16. You have been chosen to bear fruit by someone who knows how to make branches bear fruit. When we abide in Christ and our life sources in Christ, we don't only bear fruit, but we bear much fruit because we've been chosen by the master to bear fruit. Your life is valuable to Christ. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. What a weird sentence. I, I can't tell you how many times I read over the last verse. This will be our last verse that we look at today. How many times I, I, I read over this last verse and it didn't click how weird of a sentence that is. R read it again. These things I command to you, comma, so that you will love one another. That kind of implies that if Jesus didn't command it, there's a real risk we would do all of these Christian-y things without loving one another. Now, I don't have to tell you, 
My wife is much wiser than me. She's very smart, very smart wife. And several years ago, we were talking, and uh, we were kind of in a quiet moment. I think we were riding in a car. I may be making up half of the story, but the second half is, is actual. We're, we're in the car. I'm driving. She's in the passenger seat. It's quiet. And she's like, huh. I said, what? She said, you know, God never commands us to breathe. I said, okay. That's uh, it's a true sentence, but it's coming out of nowhere. Like, she goes, well, you know, you're going to automatically breathe. You know, he doesn't have to command us to breathe because, like, if you stop breathing, you will immediately begin to breathe again. Uh, God doesn't command us to breathe, but he does command us to love. Like my head, just like, oh, wow. Jesus says, these things I command to you so that you will love one another. The default for all of us, if we just ignore all of this, our default is to not love each other, is to look out for our own interests, is to not lay down our lives for each other. But in Christ, he says, I'm commanding you these things so that you will love one another. He doesn't command these things so that we look really cool on our resume or that we get to impress everybody else with how, you know, godly we're pretending to be. He doesn't, he doesn't command us. I'm thinking of like, you know, these people who call, call themselves churches. Uh, I don't know what that church, like Hillsboro or whatever. And they just go around hating everything. You know, nothing about what they love. They just hate, hate. They hate this. They protest this. Stop calling yourself a church. If you're listening to this and you're from that location, you're not a church. You're something else. You're a club. I don't know what you are. To love one another is what Jesus has called us to do. God didn't command us to breathe, but he did command us to love. I just want to give a few observations from kind of maybe I can unpack this and, and, and share what, what I see as important. Is the first is this, is be sure you're connected to what you want. There are a lot of things out there that we can connect to. We can kind of hook our trailer to, but Jesus says that he's the true vine. He's, he's the true vine. There are other vines that may demand your attention, but he is the true vine. Are you connected to the one that matters most? Do you find in your, in, in your connection uh, the this, this source of life, or do you find in your connection uh, s- trouble and frustration? Uh, be sure you're connected to, to what you want, because what you're connected to is, is going to be where your fruit comes from, which brings me to the second observation. So your fruit, the fruit that you see in your life, the things that are just kind of outpouring naturally as you're kind of going through your day, your fruit proves what you're connected to. I find in myself that whenever anger and hostility comes out, like I, it's because I'm kind of connected to angry people and hostile people, and I'm just, it's kind of bubbling up out of me. What's funny is that um, an apple tree will never, in the history of ever, grow a lemon, I think. I think that's true. Again, I'm not a, a tree person. By definition, an apple tree is a tree that grows apples. If you, if you plant a seed in the ground and it says apple tree on the seed and a big tree comes out and lemons come off of the tree, you don't think to yourself, that's weird, my apple tree is growing lemons. No, what you think is someone gave me the wrong seeds. I'm growing the wrong thing here. This is, someone's, someone's traded me out on here. That would be, that'd be so weird. The definition of the tree is the fruit that it bears. The definition of a Christian is the fruit that should be born out in us is our ability to love one another in a way that lays down our lives and so your fruit proves what you're connected to. What, what kind of fruit uh, do you see? What kind of fruit do you see in, in some relationships in, in your life? What kind of fruit do you see in, in uh, your work-life balance? What, what kind of fruit do you see in just your relationship with God? Is it, is it a list of chores? Or is it something that you can abide in that brings full joy that Jesus promised? What your fruit... Uh, is proves what you're connected to. 
The second thing, or third thing rather, is you are invited to a fruitful life. The life of a Christian is not one where you like raise your hands like, I, uh, I confess these things, I'm going to get baptized, and then a fruitless existence for the next 60 years so that you can die and go to heaven. No, you're invited to a life that matters, to a life that's not wasted. You're invited to a fruitful life. This is, this, is, uh, this is good news because we should, we should be excited to have a life that's, that's worth living and have some meaning. It's also good news is that if you, in that last question, were looking at your fruit, it's like, I, Jesse, if, if I'm honest, and I don't want to tell anybody this yet, but if I'm honest, I, I'm really not loving the fruit that I'm seeing. Okay, I've got great news for you. Lean in. Tell your kids to be quiet for a second. Um, you are invited to have a fruitful life. The the master vine dresser has not found the branch that he can't revive, that he can't make something useful with. The, the Bible is full of stories of people who had no common sense and a ton of mistakes, yet God worked it out and made a beautiful thing. In fact, I would argue that when this room is full, this room is full of people that are branches that really had no business bearing fruit, yet because of Christ are now beginning to see fruit born in their life. If you assess your fruit and you think, I don't really like what I see, great news is you're invited to have a fruitful life today, right now. You're invited. You're invited to trust Jesus to bring this fruit in your life. So what is the fruit? Last observation. What, what is the fruit? Jesus was very clear. The fruit is this, that you love one another just as Jesus has loved you. This measure of what the fruit is grows every time we learn something new about Jesus. When you, when you read the Gospels for the first time and you see how he interacted with Mary and Martha, you learn more about who Jesus is and how he loved them and how he loved Lazarus. And you think, I'm called to that same measure. My fruit should be growing in that. And just, just like that tree in Fred, Texas, like the, the fruit starts to bear so much that it becomes obvious to everybody who drives by that, man, that's the best pear tree in all of Fred, Texas. You will begin to bear much fruit. And as you use this as the measure, to love one another as Jesus has loved you, as you use that as the measure, you never find the end of it. You can learn that lesson at six years old today and 60 years from now, when you're 66, you're still learning new things about how Jesus loved you and therefore how you should love other people. Remember, Jesus says, abide in my love. And then he says, I, I want you to bear fruit so that it abides, that our love for one another should be drawing people to the Christ in which we are abiding. I shared a, a story in staff meeting. I'll, I'll close with this um, I've, I think I've established during my time uh, this morning, I'm terrible with plants. I don't know anything about anything. Like I have a, some people have a green thumb, I have a brown thumb. Everything I touch just withers and dies. I don't, I don't know what the problem is. It turns out they need water, I found out. Um, and so a few months ago, uh, I have all these trees all around my house and, and they just, they needed to be kept, you know, like at some point you have to like trim trees and clean them up. And um, most of them would be like a branch hanging over the house or something like that. And I clean those up a few times, but it's gotten so much. And we've been focused on the inside of the house so much recently that I just called a tree service out. These, these professionals who know what they're doing. And the guys come with like a boot with like a claw on the side. It's weird. They look like a, like a cat climbing a tree. They, they take off. 
And I tell the guy, I said, listen, I need, uh, I would like these trimmed right here. And, and this one in the back's trimmed. Uh, we need to cut this one down right here. And I said, listen, in the back corner of my house, I have this oak tree. It is huge. It's probably been there since before my house was built. And it is constantly dropping limbs. I think this thing is dying. It, it is in bad shape. Every morning we come out uh, and this tree would drop limbs, sometimes little twigs, sometimes limbs as big as your head. Uh, or my head, and 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 it, 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 I think it's dangerous. I think I think that one day uh, my kid's going to be walking out here and just boom, just get hit. Like somebody's got to do something with this tree. It's obviously too sick to save. It's obviously I need to to get this thing cut down. Will you cut it down? He says, "Well, I'll tell you what. I'll take a look at it." And this little. Catman dude guy, he climbs up in the tree and he's like gone up in the, into the, the canopy of the trees. He's, he's up there and he comes down and he goes, no, nah, man, you're, you got a good tree. This, this, is, this is a strong tree. This tree is, is great. Just needs a little care. Just needs to be taken care of. And so the day comes, they come and treat everything. They, they cut down the trees that we agreed to. They trim everything. And that guy is gone in that tree forever. He came down and got a Gatorade and he climbed back up there and he's gone again. He, he spent most of his day in that oak tree. And now today, that was months ago, that, that tree has dropped zero limbs. It is tall. It is strong. It may be the largest oak tree on my street. I, the idiot tree owner that I was, saw this tree and the dangerous limbs it was throwing, and, and I thought, it has to go. There's no hope for this tree. But this master tree service looks at the tree and immediately sees not just that it can be saved, but how to save it, how to rescue it, how to prune it and to care it so that this tree shows its beauty shows how strong it is, shows it becomes the pride of my yard, this huge oak tree. Our lives are, are, are like that. So many times I'll walk into a situation, and if I'm honest with you, my flesh and my inability to see the good in others, I see, I see pain, I see hurt, I see all those limbs like flying out everywhere, kids getting hit everywhere. Like every, everything about this person is dangerous. They're dropping drama every second they are, and immediately I'm like, oh, there's no hope for that one. There's nothing. There's nothing. Just, just get rid of it. Just get rid of that tree. But God swoops in and says, no, if I, if I, if I prune that one back, uh-huh, and a little fertilizer here, and let's spray something there. Let's, let's cut this one back. Give me a little while. I'll climb up in the canopy of this thing. I'll clean it up. And our lives are better because of it. We begin to bear fruit. We begin to have the glory, the fruit being born in our lives that was intended because the master knows exactly what he's doing. Christ invites us to abide as a branch in the vine, to abide in him, the source of life, and we bear fruit that reflects his goodness and his sweetness, and it becomes the glory of the Father. And even if you see in yourself these branches, these dead limbs, and you think when you look in the mirror, there's no hope. There's a master uh, vine dresser, there's a master tree service that knows exactly how to prune. And be, be cautious that we don't look at someone else and immediately discard them and think that there's, there's nothing there to redeem. Because I, I think more often than not, uh, no, all the time. Yeah, that's, that's the right phrase. All the time. God has an ability to correct those, those, those broken limbs, to prune, to clean. And eventually you see this beautiful, spectacular person where someone who was withered and dangerous once stood. Let me pray for you. Uh, my desire for us is that we, would, that we would rest and trust in this goodness of who Jesus is. Pray with me. Father, uh, this morning... 
We thank you, one, that we have an invitation to abide with you, to trust in you, to, to, to get our life from you. Lord, we thank you that, that you don't just shut us down when we make one mistake. But, Father, time and time again, you welcome us back. Lord, we thank you that, that you are calling us to a life that's not fruitless but is full of fruit. And, uh, Father, I pray for, for those that are listening and watching, uh, Lord, that they would begin to, to see in themselves fruit grow because, because they begin to see today that they're, they're trusting in you, they're starting to abide in you, and they remain connected to who you are. Lord, I pray, Father, for the person right now who, who's just been far away, uh, Lord, that they would trust you and they would take you at your word maybe for the first time. Lord, I pray for the person who remembers a season in their life where they bore much, much fruit, but if they're honest right now, Father, they feel themselves withering away. I pray, Lord, that you would draw them back to you and that they would connect to your goodness and connect to your life source and that they would see the fruit in their lives and that their kids would see it and that, that their coworkers would see it. Lord, I pray for the, the young one who is just beginning a life of trusting in you. I pray, Lord, that you would build in them a habit, uh, even beginning this morning, of, of trusting you and growing strong and, and, and showing uh, your goodness and your glory to anyone who would look on them. That, Father, uh, they would see the love of Jesus grow and manifest even in their young lives. Lord, we, we love you. And we trust that even in this, in this season of uh, weirdness that we're in, Lord, you, you are certain of it all. And so instead of being connected to the, the news or instead of being connected to uh, all, the, all the chaos that's out there, Lord, may we uh, choose to be connected to you who is calm in this storm and, and every storm we'll face. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.